Hello and welcome to The Green Hornet from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Want a brand new breakfast idea? Then get the Betty Crocker cereal tray, the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Yes, indeed. Try the brand new cereal assortment with ten individual packages in all. Four Wheaties, four Cheerios, two Kicks. All top favorites and all extra fresh. Yes, it's fun to take your pick from Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks. Get the Betty Crocker cereal tray, the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Get that tray today. And now, the Betty Crocker cereal tray presents... The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. With his faithful valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld, risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure of Career at Stake. All right, gang, let's give three cheers. Yes, sir, three cheers for three tough favorites. Cheerios, Wheaties, and Kicks, each in the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Ten separate individual packages of your three top favorite cereals, all in one handy carton. You take your choice right at the table. Wheaties one morning, Cheerios the next, and Kicks the next. It's fun. You always open a fresh package. Try it. Get the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Solemn Britt Reed, who talked to Ed Lowry in his office at the Daily Sentinel. Lowry, the paper's star reporter, nodded in sympathetic understanding as the young publisher spoke to him. Lowry, if there was ever a story I've hated to print, it's this one on Hazel Ball's suicide. I understand, boss. He was a friend, wasn't she? A very dear friend. But Hazel Ball loved life too much to do what she did without some terrible overpowering reason. I'm sure of that. I can believe it, boss. I want you to dig around and see what you can find out about her life during the past few months. Yes? Mr. Reed, Axford's on the outside line. All right, Miss Case, put him through. Yes, Axford. Reed, I'm over at cops headquarters on the Hazel Ball suicide. And what I got is sensational. Go ahead, Axford. Police are convinced that Hazel Ball took her life when she was unable to meet extortion demands. They have reason to believe she was a victim of a blackmail ring. You were right, boss. That's it. Another blackmail case. Hold it, Axford. I'll switch you over to Gunnigan. Meanwhile, two other men were concerned with Hazel Ball's death. Both of them were seated in the office of Typical Topics, a notorious weekly scandal sheet published by J. Cyril Fraser. Short, 
nervous and well-dressed, Fraser was making notations in a small black book, and watching him was a hulking, bald-headed man, whose face seemed creased in an everlasting smile. He was Johnny Dunn, Fraser's partner. Still writing in your little black book, Alfred. You're going to wear your brain out with all the figuring and writing you do. You know, sometime just for fun, I'd like to see what you put in that book. Uh, 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 you wouldn't understand, Johnny. I'm just closing out accounts on Hazel Ball. You know, it's a funny thing. I was just thinking about her a minute ago. We didn't get too much out of her, did we? No, Johnny, very little when you count it up. That's why I can't understand the papers saying she was taken for plenty of dough. Ah, you know the papers. Uh, you've uh, got something new lined up, Fraze? Yes, and different. Huh? Your big job this time is being a father. Yeah, I can imagine. What did you say? A father? Me? <laughs> Yes, the father of a lovely young actress. A girl who's going to make a million dollars in Hollywood. What is this, a gag? No, Johnny, I'm serious. You're going to be her father, and I'm going to be her personal manager. <laughs> Leave it to good old phrase. Always looking after the books and taking care of the money. I've been lining this up for a long time, Johnny. Once you're set, we'll be ready to go. Well, I'm ready now. What's the pitch? It's a little involved. First, you'll have to visit a small town in West Texas to get some local color. A town called Colby. Colby? <laughs> you kidding? <laughs> Why, that burg was wiped out about 15, 16 years ago. I guess they built it up again, though. You know, I know the joint. What? Used to hit there when I was traveling. Hey, this is better than I thought. You know the town was set without waiting. You know what happened to Colby, don't you? Yeah. An oil and gas explosion wrecked and then burned it out completely. A few hundred people killed, every building gutted, and every vital and public record destroyed. <laughs> sure. Well, this actress, your daughter, was born in Colby a few years before that explosion. And that's the basis for the setup I doped out. Ed Lowry and Michael Axford were summoned to Britt Reed's office early next morning. He had just come from a conference with Police Commissioner Higgins and there was deep concern in his voice as he spoke. It's the same old story. The police can cope with murder and robbery, but when it comes to blackmail, they're stymied. Lowry, we're going to start that blackmail series of yours tomorrow. Boss, I'm sure of two things. First, most people who pay hush money will die rather than reveal why they're paying it. Well, worse than that. They die without naming the blackmailers. Uh, and what's the second thing you're sure of, Lowry? What I thought long before I started on this assignment. But the D.A. and the commissioner have suspected for ages, but haven't been able to prove. You mean that the Fraser outfit's behind the racket? Uh, behind it? Look at that magazine they put out, and you'd say they're in front of it. If you knew the facts behind those blind items they run in typical topics, you'd know who was paying or going to be asked to pay blackmail and why. And if you did know, you couldn't get them to testify. That's why the authorities have never been able to make any headway. Well, maybe this series will accomplish what the police haven't been able to. If it doesn't... I can think of only one more hope. You mean you got an ace in the hole, Reed? What is it? What? Oh, it's... Uh, it's fate. Yes, that's what it is, Axford. Fate. When the others had left, Brett Reed walked into his outer office, where Lenore Case was pounding away at her typewriter. And, um... 
What role is Miss Lenore Case playing at the moment? The secretary or reporter? Neither, Mr. Reed. <laughs> I'm setting an outline and a list of questions to ask on my big assignment as a feature writer. Oh, what's the feature you're working on? Here's the assignment that Considine sent me. Oh, Sunday Magazine, no less. Uh-huh. Great. Uh-oh. Look at whom you're going to interview. Audrey Johnson. I'd like to work on that myself. If she looks like she sounds, I don't blame you. I talked to her on the phone before. Oh, she was lovely. She is. And the finest young actress to come along in years. But I imagine she's not more than 18 or 19, and yet oh, she has a, a mature electric quality <laughs> here, about her. Here, here. <laughs> I promise you, when you see Audrey Johnson, you'll be looking at the future great lady of the theater. The film, you mean. I understand Hollywood's the next stop after a show closes. That's why we're not printing the story for a few weeks. It'll be bigger then after a picture contract's been signed. Good for her, if that's what she wants. But I do wish an actress with her ability would remain on the stage where people act. <laughs> oh, snob. <laughs> you going out, Mr. Reed? Yes, I'm to meet Axford for lunch in a few minutes. If anything comes up, I'll be at Reed's always. Rico's was the one spot in town where celebrities and the smart set gathered. It was there about an hour later that Reed and Axford finished their luncheon. Axford drained his coffee cup, patted his lips with his napkin, and sat back with a contented, well-fed smile. Ah, Reed, that was the best lunch I've had in ages. I want to tell you I... Hey, what are you looking at? Axford, have you seen Always Tomorrow? Uh, you mean the play at the Princess Theater? No, why? There's a lovely young girl in it, Audrey Johnson. Miss Case and I were just talking about her a while ago. She's going to be one of our great actresses. So what? Audrey Johnson is being seated a few tables behind you. She's with J. Cyril Fraser. Ah, that flattest kind. What's a girl like her doing with Fraser? Well, how do I know? Well, I intend to find out. You mean you're going over and ask? No, Axford, not that. I'm going to find out just the same. Uh, waiter. Check, please. I'm getting right back to the office, Axford. I'm going to change one of Miss Case's assignments. Britt Reed told Lenore Case about seeing Audrey Johnson at lunch with Fraser, the blackmailing publisher and the young actress were entering the lobby of her apartment house. Standing at the door at the automatic elevator and smiling inanely as he greeted them was Fraser's partner, Johnny Dunn. Hey there, Audrey. It's good to see you. You made it, huh, Fraser? Why, who are you? Who is this man, Mr. Fraser? He's one of the two most important men in your life, Audrey. Don't stand there looking like that, dear. Get into the elevator. We'll all go up for that little talk. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Ever wonder why the cereals in the Betty Crocker cereal tray always taste so extra fresh and crisp? Why they seem to have an extra brisk edge of flavor. Well, there's a mighty good reason for that super fresh cereal tray flavor. Two reasons, in fact. First, the ten separate packages of Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks in the Betty Crocker cereal tray each come in special flavor-protecting packages. From tip to top, the outside of each package is bathed in wax, a treatment which helps guard against air and dampness. This flavor-saving wax coat is a special heavy one, too. In fact, if you scratch the surface of the packages with your fingernail, you'll be amazed at how extra heavy this protective wax coat is. It really does the trick. 
Now, the second reason for the cereal tray's extra keen flavor is this. Each of the individual packages holds just enough for one good-sized serving. That means your breakfast cereal remains sealed in its wax-gutted package until the very moment before you eat it. Each morning, you open a fresh, new package. Each morning, you enjoy a breakfast cereal at its crispiest, freshest, most flavorful best. Remember, there are ten separate individual packages of those three top favorites, Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks in every Betty Crocker cereal tray. Each member of the family has the fun of choosing the cereal he wants for breakfast. Each opens his own fresh new package. Ask your mom to get the Betty Crocker cereal tray and enjoy extra keen flavor every single morning. Now to continue our story. When Audrey Johnson, Fraser, and Dunn entered the girls' apartment, there were a few minutes of meaningless preliminaries. This was long enough to give Audrey the opportunity to get control of herself so that she was able and ready to talk when Fraser came to his point. Audrey, I hear you've been signed to play the lead in Madonna of Jericho when they make the picture. It's supposed to be a secret, I know, but you have signed. Since you're so all-knowing, I won't deny it. I have signed. You had no right to sign that contract, Audrey. I had no... (laughs) I'd like to know why not. I'm over 18. Uh Aha, there's the rub, my dear girl. You're not 18. What are you talking about? I ought to know how old I am. I don't see why. You know very well your age is based on mere hearsay. You're leading up to something. I know it. What is it? Audrey, where were you born? Colby. Colby, Texas. Exactly. Where your father and mother were killed in the explosion that wiped out the town. And when Colby was wiped out, so was every record in that city. Not a birth record or death certificate was saved from the ruins. And as a result, you've never known who your real mother and father were. Stop it! You can't say I can say because I know. You, a baby, were one of the few to survive the disaster. And a short time later, you were adopted by a vaudeville couple, Al and Fanny Johnson. (laughs) Adoption rules were funny, then. What are you trying to get at? Where are Al and Fanny Johnson now? You... You know they're dead? They misled you about your age, Audrey. Why? Because their act began to flop. And they needed something novel or they were washed up. Will you stop and say what you're going to say? I found your real father and your birth certificate. Here's the birth certificate proving how old you really are. Oh, no. And it proves, too, that this man is your father. I'm your father, Audrey. I searched for 15 years. It is absurd. It's a nightmare. Keep away from me. Don't come near me, you... Sit down, Johnny. (laughs) And you, Audrey... Let's have no scenes. Sooner or later, you'll have to face the facts. This... This man is my father? Yes. And that I am going to be your personal manager. Oh, that's it. I accept this or... Or we sue you and your film company for signing a minor. Shortly after Lenore Case left for Audrey Johnson's apartment, Axford and Ed Lowry hurried into Britt Reed's office. Boss, wait here, what we got. Uh, what is it, Lowry? Something live? I think so, boss. First, I've been checking with my bank sources. In the four years before her death, 
Hazel Ball withdrew more than $100,000 with not a trace of where it went. And during the same time, Fraser banked twice that. Naturally, she wasn't the only fish in his line. What else, Lowry? Fraser has a bodyguard and circulation manager named Johnny Dunn. I looked him up. Get this noted. He has no criminal record, so the police let him drop. But now I find that Dunn's an almost miraculous penman. He once made a copy of the Constitution and signed every name, almost as they were on the original. A man like that in league with a blackmailer could... Yes, I see what you mean, Larry. It was late afternoon when Lenore Case returned to the office. There was pain and disbelief in her voice as she told Britt Reed the startling climax of her interview with Audrey Johnson. And I couldn't believe it, Mr. Reed. Well, she stood there in the middle of the living room, just as if it were a lighted stage. And she told me without the flicker of an eyelid that from now on, Fraser was handling all of her affairs. And that this, this grotesque Dunn was her long-lost father. Then she phoned the theater saying she couldn't appear this evening. Britt Reed made an immediate decision when Miss Case told him that Audrey Johnson had phoned the theater. He went immediately home and summoned Cato, his valet and confidant. Forget about dinner, Cato. Get the black beauty ready. Oh, sure thing, Sir Britt. What we do tonight? What we do tonight, Cato, depends on the cooperation we get from the very beautiful and very foolish young girl we're going to visit now. Let's get going right away. <laughs> Alone in her apartment, Audrey Johnson was no longer the self-possessed girl who had cynically compromised with J. Cyril Fraser. She was sobbing quietly, so that she did not hear the masked man who entered the room. But she sensed his presence and looked up. Who's there? Who's... That mask? I know who you are. You're... You're the Green Hornet. Then we can forego introductions, Miss Johnson. Let's drop the tear act, shall we? I want to talk to you. A seemingly chastened Audrey Johnson sat back and listened to the Green Hornet. He told her the sordid background of the men who'd forced their way into her life that afternoon. And when he finished, some minutes later, he was dumbfounded to hear her say, Honestly, I, I didn't realize what a, what a colorful father, what a fascinating manager I have. Goodness. What? Are you crazy? <laughs> Not at all, Mr. Hornet. And to show I appreciate your story, I'll bring you up to date on the career of these men you dislike so much. <laughs> I can see your eyes. They're cute. And they look surprised. Like mine did this afternoon, I imagine. I'll tell you what happened then. And Audrey Johnson did. Brett Reed, accustomed to all types of persons and circumstances in his role as the Green Hornet, sat dumbstruck at this young girl as she told him every dramatic highlight. The story of her encounter that afternoon. When she finished, his words were colored with amazement and indignation. Of all the preposterous, outlandish shakedowns. And you mean to say you were going to let them get away with a fantastic thing like that? Were? <laughs> I am. Cut out this fooling. Call the police and tell them just what you told me. No, I won't call the police. And I won't tell them my story. And you can't tell them. Not the Green Hornet. If you did, I'd deny everything. I've accepted my situation, and it's going to stay that way. You're not as smart as you think you are. Fraser and Dunn couldn't make their story stand up in court. That birth certificate is a fake and a forgery, I'm sure of it. Maybe it is a fake. I think it is. But it looks real enough. 
And their story is logical enough to get some proceedings started. Don't be an idiot. That's only a threat. They couldn't prove their case. But they can stop litigation. And if I get involved in court proceedings, the movie people will drop me. I'll be finished before I start. But you, you can't Movie outfits that... don't want to bother with a lot of lawsuits, especially over unknowns like I am. You're only 18. You'll have many more chances. Not in a part like I'll have in Madonna. The only chance you get in this business is the one that's given you the day. I'm taking it. Motion pictures can do without me, but I'm not going to let them. Me, I've got my chance, and I'm not going to lose it. All right. If I can't talk to you, perhaps I can talk to Fraser and Dunn. As the Green Hornet left, Audrey Johnson, selfish in the fear that her career might be harmed, tried innumerable times to get the office of typical topics on the phone. But the line continued busy. Then, with a change of mind and attitude so characteristic of her, she dialed again. This time, another number. Hello? Police? Hurry. The Green Hornet's going to make trouble. Go at once to the office of typical topics. J. Cyril Fraser had been on the phone for more than an hour, tapping his last sources of information before he started to write the copy for the next edition of his scandal sheet. Neither he nor the unusually serious face done were aware that a masked man had made a silent entrance and waited, hidden in the outer office. Ah, glad that's over. Got a couple of doozies with it. Say, what's that look on your face for? I'm still thinking about that kid today. I don't think it's a smart play for Hayes. I feel sorry for him. Sorry enough to pass up a million bucks? You and your million buckses always talking about millions. <laughs> like the million we were going to make on the Hazel Ball deal. Well, a hundred thousand dollars isn't bad. Who's it? How did you get in? I locked the door. How did you get in? I unlocked it. What do you want? When I came in, I wanted to talk to you about the Johnson deal. That nails you to that one, crazy. But after what I just heard, suppose we start talking about Hazel Ball. Look, what was that track about a hundred grand? Don't you know? That's what Hazel Ball paid you over a four-year period. Paid me? Are you kidding all I got out of that deal was a filthy nine or ten G's. He's lying, Johnny. He doesn't know what he's Maybe talking. Maybe he does know. Maybe he's not lying. I've been thinking lately that maybe you were, Fraze. I'd be sore about that ball cut if it was like the Hornet says. I did a very special pen job in that one. That's right, Dunn. You did most of the pen work, didn't you? Sure I did. Fixed those phony letters for him, signed those phony signatures, fixed up the records. Shut up, you stupid fool. Don't you see what the hornet's trying to do? Stupid fool, huh? Keep away from me, Johnny. Don't touch me. I won't touch you, Pally. Not till I get a peek at that little black book of yours. The one with the figures... The one you said today I couldn't understand. Let's see if I can, Fraze. Better give it to him, Fraser. That's telling him, Hornet. Do I get it, Fraser? No, don't, don't touch me. It's here in my inside pocket. Take it. Yeah. It's here. 
And I'd better take this Johnson birth certificate, too, as long as it's here with the other stuff. That fake certificate? Good. Go on, Dunn. You know what you're after? You bet I do. Let's see now. B. B. Here it is. Ball. In January. 3,000. Huh? February. 1,200. Well, don't do it, Johnny. Johnny, look. I can explain that. I forgot to tell you. You forgot to tell me lots of things, Fred. Johnny. 4,200. The first two months of this year. And I didn't get a dime. No, Johnny. Well, here's what you're going to get. I go up and done. Stop right where you are. What's the idea? What you going to shoot that gun for? So you'll both be piled up nice and neat when the police come. They'll be interested in that book. And I'll leave a note explaining that birth certificate. You're not going to get away with a play like that, Bob. You first, Dunn. Are you? Oh, no, you don't, Fraser. Here's your sleeping potion. Britt Reed heard the police car screech to a halt in front of the building. But he coolly stopped to scribble a note and attach it to Audrey Johnson's forged birth certificate. The sound of policemen running up the stairs sent the masked man hurrying to the rear window of the office. As he climbed onto the fire escape, the outer door burst open. There he goes, through that window. It's the hornet, all right. Hey, look at the two on the floor here. Never mind them. Get the green hornet. Get after him. Don't let the green hornet get away this time. He is getting away. Don that When Brett Reed entered his office next morning, he found Axford and Miss Case discussing the events of the previous night. Oh, good morning, Mr. Reed. Did you know that the Green Hornet helped the police again last night? Yes, and from what I heard, the police have been able to connect Fraser with nearly every blackmail crime of the past five years. No, that's good news. Why, I... Where's the boss? Right here, Lowry. What is it? Now that this John Fraser case broke, did we run those blackmail stories I wrote? Sure thing. They may give some people an idea of how they can protect themselves from the dangers of blackmail. And you can end with a story of how the Green Hornet did it in this case. I'm so sick and tired hearing about the Green Hornet. Sure, I bet you he didn't have any more to do with it than read here. and girls, listen to this. You get a swell-looking model city when you buy the Betty Crocker cereal tray. A model city that looks just like real. You cut it out and build it yourself. It has all kinds of buildings, houses, stores. In addition, there are cut-out automobiles, fences, storage sheds, awnings, and billboards. All this on just one Betty Crocker cereal tray. Still other houses, stores, and equipment come on other packages. The Model City is easy to build, too. There's no pasting or gluing needed, and many slots are pre-cut. It's really easy and really fun. Just ask your grocer for the Betty Crocker cereal tray. 
the handy cereal package with all three of your breakfast favorites, Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks. Get yours now. You've been listening to The Green Hornet, brought to you by the Betty Crocker Cereal Tray, the cereal assortment of individual packages of Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks. America is secure as long as Americans stick together. But America is weak, actually in danger from outside enemies if we quarrel among ourselves about race, religious belief, or nationality. So play fair with your fellow American, whatever his race, religion, or nationality. There's more fun in life when you do. You're happier about your neighbors. They're happier about you. Most important, in these troubled times, America is secure only when all Americans stick together. Be with us again next week at the same time when General Mills will again present The Green Hornet. This copyrighted feature originates in Detroit, and all characters, places, and incidents used are fictitious. Hal Neal speaking. Tomorrow night at the same time over most of these same stations, listen to another thrilling adventure of the early West. When the Lone Ranger rides again. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.